Madeline from Midwife. David Nance. Seth Graham. Kiaville. Mike from Uniform. Lee Noble. Braden J. I am sitting here with C.J. Boyd following a really well-attended and fun show at uh, Motor Pub in Cincinnati, Ohio, where C.J. Floyd w- played with the Ophelias, who won the Cincinnati Entertainment Award for Best Indie <laughs> Rock Band. It was okay. it was yeah. very exciting. It <laughs> was exciting. I didn't know what they I didn't know what they won in. I saw that they had the award. It was, but I didn't. Best, best indie, rock. indie rock okay. band. I don't know. I don't know much about um, that whole apparatus, but it's a thing. Yeah, it's a thing, and I love that they didn't even show up. They just <laughs> were playing a show down the road, uh, where some of my friends who have been like nominated. Um, it becomes like this whole production, like, hey, make sure you nominate, you know, you vote for me and get oh, your yeah. friends to vote for me. And um, yeah, they're badass. Um, so CJ, I've had the opportunity to book several times yeah. in Cincinnati and see play several times in Cincinnati. Um, you've been on the road for a long time. Yeah. How long continuously have you been on tour? Um, I hit my 10-year anniversary last March, and we're in, what, November now, so like 10 and a half years, something like that. I'm just going to move the mic a little bit. Yeah. So, you said ten, how long? So, I hit my 10-year ten, ten mark, mark uh, in, in March. Wow. Yeah. What was the, uh, what was the decision point from booking tours where you'd go out and back and back to a, a place. Right. That's usually how it goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, I'm just going to stay on tour. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I, it's funny. I should have a, I should, I feel like I should have a really polished answer for this. Cause I get asked this all the time. I mean, some version of it. Um, but really I feel like it's the short answer is really simple. It's just why well, I liked touring a lot. And I thought, well, I, just kind of want to do that. Um, I've got a record coming out where I, I don't usually spend a lot of time on liner notes, but I, I, I just sort of was proofreading this early this week to make sure it was all, you know, spell checked and everything. And now it's in my head, so I'm going to use my cheesy answer from my, <laughs> from my uh, album liner notes. But I sort of do. I do think about um, there's this thorough line. Uh, from Walden where he sort of talks about like why he went into the woods and really it's about like living life to the fullest you know that he wanted to suck the marrow from life Um, and I think that in our culture I've been a critic of something in our culture for a long time and that's this tendency to sort of defer joy indefinitely I mean there's always something to be said about 
doing something in the short time that might be some sacrifice for some gain in the, in the long term. But um, I think we do it too much as a culture. We do it. Um, a lot of people spend, like, organize their whole lives around deferring anything that would actually make them happy and then find out, you know, when they're in their 60s that retirement is a pretty late time to start enjoying your life. Um, so I think that even before this, there were other things that I was doing in my life that were maybe precursors to it in terms of, like, I, I was in a PhD program for philosophy for four years, um, and I went into that program with no expectations of necessarily of it being uh, instrumental. I, I didn't know if I was going to have a career in academic philosophy. I just wanted to, and that seemed like a thing that I would enjoy because <laughs> I'm a dork. And... Uh, and yeah, I did enjoy it for about four years. I didn't finish it. I ended up, um, I stopped enjoying it at some point, and I stopped uh, being a part of the program. But um, but yeah, when it there, I guess, and actually maybe that's a good segue because uh, when I stopped enjoying the PhD program, um, I thought, okay, how do I want to spend my time? Like I don't think I want to spend my time grading papers all the time. Like, I don't think I, I don't know if this is my life. I, I thought for a minute maybe it would be. Maybe I'd get my doctorate and then go on to teach. That seemed like a pretty good gig. You get to read a lot of cool books, talk to people about interesting things. It seemed really good for a while. And then there was just a point where I thought, man, I don't, I don't think I, I enjoy teaching, but I don't think I have that thing there's a thing that a lot of teachers have that I didn't have, which was, I think, um, this is going to sound really pessimistic, but uh, it's true. I don't have them very much hope for the future. I don't. I think that a good teacher usually thinks that they are instilling something into their students that will make them better, and then that the future of humanity will be better because of what they're teaching their students. And I love teachers that do this. I think my best teachers have all done it. Uh, my sister is an amazing high school teacher for a long time. She did that. You know, I think the the role models I've seen all have this aspect, and I I just don't have it. Um, I'm pretty pretty skeptical about the uh, the sort of myth of progress that I think we get fed a lot that that things are getting better and better. I mean, some things are getting better, and that other things I think are getting. A lot worse and I don't have a lot of hope for the human race in the next couple of decades to be honest so it just felt like uh, maybe this isn't how I want to spend my time um, hoping that things get better so was the, the the decision to tour then part of just maximizing the the joy that you have and kind of the time that you have left yeah. um, not necessarily planting any seeds for any sort of future progress but just live as cliche as that is living in the moment yeah and it's it is cliche and i will say that it's all relative like living in the moment more than some other versions of my life or some more than some of the examples i see around me not to say that anyone certainly not myself like i don't think anyone lives completely and totally in the moment i still i still start projects 
that I hope to finish that sometimes take years to finish. You know, the record that I'm just talking about, I started it in, uh, let's see, 2016, I think it was, or 2000, late 2000, yeah, early 2016. So, like, it took almost three years to finish it. So, 2015. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't just not start projects that are going to take more than right now because, you know, because I'm only living in the moment or something. I, I still, still have some future plans, but they tend to not extend real far into the future. And I guess the, the other jump in there was that when I decided I wasn't going to continue with the academic life, I thought, okay, what do I love doing? And, and really it was pretty easy in a way for me to say, like I've always had, like up until that point, I'd had this real strong interest in academia and this love for music. And they were always kind of like equal loves. And when I sort of got to a place where I didn't think I wanted to pursue that as a career, I think, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time going, okay, well, what am I going to do? I think I said, well, then, cool. Like, I don't have this competition anymore. Mm. I'm just going to do music. And then and then it was just a question of how can I fashion my life in a way where music is at the center, where I'm playing music as much as possible. I love traveling. You know, what's what can that look like? And I guess in our culture, there's like a couple of examples. You know, I lived in Nashville. That's where I went to grad school at Vanderbilt. Um, in Nashville, I knew people who spent a lot of time playing music as session musicians for the most part. And I knew pretty quickly like that wouldn't really be my thing. Um, partly just I don't think I have the chops for it. It's it's a very specific skill set. And, you know, drummers, bassists, any any kind of session musician, you have to be able to really learn someone else's music pretty quickly and and nail it and in in recent years i have enjoyed that challenge but i don't think it's my strong suit um i'm a much more improvisational player um i also like playing my own music and that's that's the part that i really enjoy most <laughs> of the time so i do in recent years there have been times when i've really enjoyed just jumping in with somebody else as their bassist and but that was a thing that I didn't really want to do for a long time and it's only been probably in the last um five or six years that I've come around to actually find that really fun again as a now it's as a break from being on you know permanent tour playing my own music all the time and so it's a nice little vacation in a way now and being on tour by your, by yourself too, yeah, that kind of brings that travel aspect into a kind of a new dimension where you're sharing that space with three different people, four different people, right? Well, and so I'll I'll just say then that when I thought, okay, session musician is not going to be my bag, how else could I do it? And I thought, well, you know, I think I was already inclined to ask like, what do I really need to to be happy to be alive to like survive and to to be happy and i realized like well i don't know if i need a house i don't know if i need like an apartment i don't know if i need that kind of consistency in my life like and touring seemed like a way of having center having music at the center of my life all the time 
I didn't, I didn't see a lot of other option, options, I guess, initially. that was, mm-hmm. and, and even that, I thought initially that it wouldn't be possible because I thought, I don't really make enough, especially at that time. I mean, in, so 2008, 2007, I had done a number of tours for like a month, two months, maybe three months at the most. I, I think I had done one like summer tour. I mean, again, I was in grad school. Right. So I think two months is probably the most I had done. And I didn't really... I didn't even always break even. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to th- think about that, still not sure how I could even pull that off. And then I met this band. So this is in 2006, actually. I met a band um, in El Paso, Texas, called And the Furies Say. And they informed me that they had bought a school bus that they were running on vegetable oil. And I thought, bullshit. <laughs> That's not a thing. You can't do that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> turns out you can do that. And uh, we went on a tour together. Now, for that tour, it was a total disaster. Um, nobody really knew what they were doing. We had all these ideals, you know, that what we were going to do. It didn't really work out great. But it, it was enough. It was It was largely disastrous but it was successful enough to at least let me understand like there is a way to do this we didn't nail it on the first try but i could do this it's possible i would and you know it was a learning experience where i was like okay i need to figure out filtration that was the biggest thing (laughs) filtering veggie oil is is half the problem you know it's like you have to find it you have to filter it um we weren't good at finding it we went to all kinds of places that did that were not ideal. Um, we weren't. We were really bad at filtering it. So it was that that sort of stumble and fall first experience. I thought, okay, how could I do this better? Like if I was going to do this on my own, full time, what could I do differently? And from there, that's when it became a feasible possibility to me. Like, okay, if I can run on vegetable oil most of the time, or even half the time, like that makes touring full time possible. And then again, it's just, I think that if, if I was making the kind of money where I could tour, you know, six months out of the year and then also live in a place, I might've decided to do that. But I just knew initially that like, I wouldn't be making that much money. So I probably need to just stay on tour and not have an apartment and just do that full time. So that was a decision that you made that wasn't just like, uh, extending the amount of time out and incrementally until you just realized that you were oh shit i've been on tour well, for like seven years <laughs> well when i did when i did start honestly the so i actually took a, a, a swing at forever tour before it really worked i had last five months mm-hmm. and i ran out of money mm-hmm. and i had to start over <laughs> you know um and then when i when i started out again so i i, I went for five months i had a lot of vehicle problems mm-hmm. Um, and at that time in my life, I had always been this kind of person that would like buy a shitty car, um, drive it until it doesn't drive anymore and then get rid of it and get a new shitty car. And that is a terrible idea on the road. It's not a good idea in general, Yeah. but I think that was, that was a point in my life where I was kind of becoming more and more aware of American attitudes towards the disposable and just using things up and throwing them in 
landfills and junkyards and um, I think prior to that I was not super aware of that tendency and the problematic nature of it <clears throat> so around that time I think I was, was thinking more about that and I had this experience I spent five months and I went through five vehicles Oof. and you know I just I bought the first van that I bought was supposed to be decent and it just it threw a rod like three days into the tour engines toast and I'm just you know screwed I, I didn't know what to do so I sort of like didn't didn't really have a backup plan I didn't know so then I I think I if I remember right I hitchhiked to a train station <laughs> and then took a train to Philly wherever I was playing that night like and it was coming from like Baltimore to Philly it's supposed to be like a very short drive but my van died I had to like I ended up selling the car for scraps the van mm. and then uh hitchhiking a little bit taking a train and then playing a show in Philly I had a friend in Philly who had just moved there um so I'm in Leslie she's amazing she she totally saved my ass she was like I just moved to the East Coast. I kind of want to drive around. And I was like, cool, I'm going to, I think it was Stanton, Virginia, like, the next day. And I was, she's like, cool, I'll drive you. <laughs> I was like, you're amazing. Thank you. Uh, so, that, yeah. And then, so, in Stanton, Virginia, I bought another shitty car. I mean, again, that first van wasn't supposed to be shitty. I thought that I, I put the money in, mm -hmm. but it didn't last so then that kind of started this domino effect of just like buying I didn't have the money then to buy like a good vehicle so I was just buying whatever I could find for like four or five hundred dollars and then it would die and then I would buy another vehicle um, and I did that so for like five months and then the last vehicle that I had it was a brown uh, Volvo station, station wagon and I, I knew that I decided because I actually had to borrow money from my grandmother to buy that one. And I thought, all right, I'm done. Like if this one dies, I unless it's like a super easy fix, then I gotta cut my losses and be done. So and there was a little period of time, fortunately, where I could tell it was on its last legs. Where I'm like, okay, it hasn't died yet, but it's not gonna <laughs> last longer. So I stopped booking shows, and I was just going. Waiting to, waiting for it to fail, and when it did fail, I think I took a Greyhound to a couple more shows, and then took a Greyhound to Chicago, and then I lived in Chicago for a little while. <laughs> um, anyway, so I mean, all that is to say, I didn't know how long it would last. It ended up lasting five months. When I went back out on tour, um, so the the following year, uh, again I didn't know how long it would last. I I tried to do things better. Than before, um, but I still didn't know for sure. Uh, and it's funny, there were years, I feel like a number of years, where I would still, someone would say, like, how long do you think? And I felt like this could end any day. Right. <laughs> it never, I mean, this is just the nature of it, and I'm used to it now, but it's it still blows my mind. I'm 10 years into it, and I'm still usually, like, one breakdown away from being flat broke and so it's not like I've ever grown out of this precariousness it's never stopped being something that is 
just barely happening. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's weird because 10 years in, you're like, well, no, I guess I know what I'm doing. I guess I, I guess I can do this. I've been doing it for 10 years. That's a long time. And yet it still feels like there's no safety net. You know what I mean? There's just, there's no, there's no like, oh, I'm fine. No matter what happens, I'll just keep doing it. I mean, I guess I have kept doing it, but it doesn't feel, you know, safe. Would that be the thing that stops the infinity tour? In infinity, infinity tour, <laughs> uh, would be like a catastrophic loss of a vehicle that would make touring impossible. Or do you see a time when, like with your PhD program, that it just stops being fun? I mean, that's been that's been the question since I've started. Is you know, I'm not going to do it if it stops being fun. Um, it is funny to me a lot of times people will ask me you know again having been into it for six years mm-hmm. eight years mm-hmm. ten years where people say do you still enjoy it and I think why in the world would I do this if I didn't enjoy right. it yeah. <laughs> like yeah. of course I don't enjoy every single moment of, of it course. I mean, there's there's a lot of work involved there's hard times I mean I was telling you earlier but like this week has been especially rough I had mm-hmm. a lot of van issues mm-hmm. um several things were going wrong and I was able to drive but sometimes uh well for much the the road say from from Buffalo to Cleveland Cleveland to where'd I go Akron Akron to Canton Canton to Columbus Columbus to Athens and Athens to here sorry that was longer than I realized (laughs) as I started it um, all of those drives, my van has been mostly cutting out, like the engine will just turn off like every five to 10 minutes. Ooh. <laughs> you just made a great face. That's <laughs> um, rough. Yeah. So it was pretty shitty and not all the time. Like there were, there are moments where if, if, especially if it's like a lot of flat or going downhill where it's fine, but especially any, and so going into Athens is probably the worst. Like mm-hmm. it's super hilly there. Mm-hmm. And it took me like five hours to drive what should be like a little over an hour trip. And that's partly because like a lot of time I wasn't able to go faster than like 10 or 15 miles an hour. And then also uh, the van was just dying like every, sometimes every five minutes. So that was real shitty. Yeah. (laughs) That was not fun times. But you know, you get through those times and then mostly it's really fun. So Mm -hmm. I got to play with the Ophelias. They're amazing. Yeah. Blew my mind. Um, those, you know, there's strikes and gutters as they say. Um, so yeah, I don't know if it ever stops being fun, I'll stop doing it for sure. Um, I think about whether or not I'll, you know, keep doing it indefinitely, probably a couple times a year. Um, so far I just like, I check in I'm like, am I still having fun? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this moment's rough, but it'll pass. And then, you know, onto the good stuff. Um, but yeah, I, and and I will say the other thing is I guess funny is that I did lose a vehicle, and I would have said prior to losing a vehicle that yeah if I lose a vehicle then I probably have to stop touring. Turns out that didn't happen. Um, I had a van for the first like six years, five and a half years of this tour. Um, there's also running there's running on veggie oil. It's called the Jambulance. Yeah. Um, it's a repurposed ambulance, like an ambulance van. Um, it was great until it wasn't. And then there was a point where 
it just had so many issues that I I had to had to retire it. Mm-hmm. And again, when I went into that fan, I was very much this is like I was saying before this the shift where I thought, okay, I'm not gonna like drive this van until it just dies and then I just give it up. Like I'm gonna keep fixing it. I'm gonna take care of this thing. And it really took a it took me getting to a place where I had had several people try to fix it and it seemed unfixable mm-hmm. for me to finally say, okay, I think this van is done and there's no more that can be done for it. But like the van that I have now, I've replaced the engine, even, mm-hmm. which is the one like one of the few like really really expensive things that that you could have done and <clears throat> those things haven't stopped me yet so i guess it's it's funny to think like oh that that seems like that would have been it but i guess not and so i spent about a year and a half without a van and still kept touring so i think what was your motor transportation i went to europe a lot during that oh, time okay. i yeah. spent probably at least six months out of that in europe maybe a little more um and then I would tour with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in a band at the time called Desert Center. Oh, yeah. And we did a tour. My good friend John, who's who's in that band, he had a van. We toured in his van for a few months. Um, did a couple tours. Cool. And I'm trying to think if... Who else? I, I know I toured with a couple other bands in that time, but I'm trying to remember the timeline. If I think... That was before I met Molly okay. Sullivan, I think. Yeah. Pretty sure. That was, yeah, a couple, that, was, that was a couple years ago. Yeah, a couple years ago. I think, I think I've had the van since then. Because okay. I, I think that was actually when we were discussing tour plans, that was like something we discussed. It was like, would we use my van? And I said I'd prefer not to for that tour. To yeah. And like, take a rest. Um, but yeah, that's a good example of what I was saying as far as like now... I love having a little vacation like that. The trip with Molly Sullivan was was sweet, you know, just getting to be the bassist mm-hmm. in a band that's like clearly not about me, and I get yeah, to yeah. just like hang out in the back and hold it down. It's pretty fun. Nice. So, um, going back before you were on tour forever, um, sure. has the the bass or some form of like the bass, um, so like. You play double bass, you play bass guitar, you play baritone ukulele. Yeah, bass um, ukulele. What? Bass ukulele. Bass Believe ukulele. Yeah. It's a weirdo. Yeah. Oh, I guess, yeah, there's only four strings on that. I think all the ukuleles just have four strings. Oh. But I think. Huh. There's just, there's I th- think, a, I don't even know how old the bass ukulele is, but it's got the same notes as a bass guitar. Yeah. What was so that was was that your instrument? When did you get started? Yeah, playing always, always, always. Been on the bass. Um, in high school, I think I was fifteen when I started playing. Fourteen or fifteen. My mom and I argue about whether I started at fourteen or fifteen. Now I can't remember which one it is. Um, yeah, and I started playing bass guitar, and I had that bass guitar um, up until. Just a few years ago. Wow. And then that that unfortunately that bass got stolen. Oh wow. Um yeah, I was on a train in Poland and fell asleep and somebody snatched it. Wow. Yeah. 
But uh, so do you think if that didn't happen, you'd still have that? Oh yeah, I uh-huh. love that bass. Um, the bass that I have now, I love also. It actually plays very similarly. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a bit of a Frankenstein. It's not really like a brand name. It's made out of a few different things, including some Fender parts, which is what my old bass was. Um, but it feels very, it feels different. But it's it feels very similar um, to that bass. What what drew you to the bass guitar? Man, um, all I can really say is I feel like I wish I had a. I, okay, so there's two things. One, I just remember listening to music. I mean, like a lot of people, I think junior high, early high school, I just you know got into music in a different way. I mean, I loved music even as a kid. You know, I remember being absolutely infatuated with Michael Jackson, like at five, six years old. But, uh, you know, I listened to a lot of pop music and then didn't really think a lot about the instrumentation. But then something in like junior high, high school, I found myself just like delving into so much music. And like really part of that is that classic, you know, breaking away from your parents. And my mom was kind enough to raise, raise me on amazing R&B and pop music from the 80s and, and before but you know getting into classic rock like we didn't I didn't really grow up on much classic rock and I remember listening to John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin and just being mesmerized by his bass lines and I think eighth grade is probably also when I got into Primus and like Rush and like I mean a lot of music, tons of music, right? But but a handful that had these bass players that were doing something really extraordinary. I do also think that if I'm honest, and this is a little cliche, but I was a natural born weirdo <laughs> as a kid, and I think the idea of playing guitar when just like every musician I know plays guitar, I think there was something that just that number one. As a, as a kid listening to rock music, you really only knew about like guitar, drums, and bass mm-hmm. <laughs> and like vocals. Like, those are your options. Maybe keyboard is like a crazy, yeah, crazy yeah. outside instrument, you know. But I didn't know anything about, you know, clarinet or. I mean, I did, I did try to learn baritone saxophone in high school, and I just couldn't manage it because I was never home. I was working all the time and like between school and jobs I was just never home we lived in a little apartment it was like well I can't practice this after 10 p.m. and right. I remember home before 10 p.m. so it, it sat in my room for like a semester of like borrowing it from high school and then decided to give it back <laughs> let someone else actually use it um, but yeah I just I had very limited ideas of what was even possible as far as music and so I think in high school when I was starting to really want to get music I don't think that I thought beyond those options and drums again, living in an apartment right. was not, impossible. Not possible. Yeah. We're poor. We live in this tiny little apartment. We're not getting a drum set, you know, where that, where would that even go? And then, so really it was like, okay, guitar or bass. And I think guitar was like just too, there were just too many people that I knew playing guitar. And I thought out of my friends, out of the people that I knew, I didn't know any bassists or very very few. So, yeah, you make yourself uh, you make yourself very useful. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but then I I do think it's funny because I wanted to play bass, um, but because I was being inspired by these like amazing bass players and some very wonderful mediocre bassists too. I mean Chris Novoselic, 
from Nirvana, Jeff Ament from Pearl Jam. They, I was in love with their shit too. They're not, neither of them is like an amazing bass player. But I feel like if you're doing your job, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. Chris knows that like plays exactly what he should in Nirvana. Yeah. <laughs> He's killing it. Yeah. It's not fucking hard. It's like super, super simple, but it's just right. Yep. Um, but I mean, but listening, I was listening to that stuff, but then also listening all this other stuff that was more interesting as far as the bass parts. I started playing in a rock band who ended up kicking me out because I wouldn't just play the, the roots, you know? They, just, <laughs> yeah, they yeah. wanted to play, they wanted the band to become more metal. Okay. And I thought that meant that I should just be playing like just low E, just jigga 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 But you were doing some like Primus like slap bass Not parts. Not even okay. slap things. I just wanted to play melodically. Mm-hmm. I think that my favorite bass players tend to usually play melodically um and so i would i would kind of try to play melodies in these songs and they were Mm -hmm. like uh that's pretty but we're trying to be metal yeah yeah we want to be metal and it's funny to me like at the time because cliff burton from metallica was one of my favorite bassists and i'm like yeah playing metal doesn't mean bullshit bass parts right right, right. like this guy kills yeah everybody else is like doing all these amazing shredding and fills and stuff and you're just like yeah no yeah you could do yeah i mean there's a place for that i i think now like there's a place for it if that's what you want to do like god there's someone out there doing that um i didn't want to do that so i had a hard time with that and i think that for a little while that kind of put me off trying to play rock music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was still listening to rock music, but I think at that time I was getting more and more into jazz and into classical music and all kinds of music that didn't really fit into any particular category. And that really being, you know, fired from a rock band at the same time is really opening my mind to all this other stuff. It made me just think, oh, well, f- just fuck all that. Yeah. I'll just play whatever I want. And, you know, I can. I think really, there's there's a record in particular that I want to mention. That's it's a funny thing to to rep, but um, Victor Wooten had this first solo record called Show of Hands. Totally blew my mind in like 1997 or 90. Who, who is that? Victor Wooten is the bassist from Bela Fleck and the Flecktones. Okay. If you know them at all. Yeah, I I know they're uh, playing at Big Ears this year. At what? At Big Ears. Okay. Yeah. Enough. Is that a, that's yeah, it's a, a music festival in Knoxville that like yeah. brings in some like really uh, all of the amazing like avant-garde and experimental okay. musicians. It's like, cool. Yeah. Bella Flex playing cool. Yeah. So I was relating to Bela Fleck and the Flecktones at the time. Um, and Vic Wooten is this amazing bass player that plays mm-hmm. with them. But I think my sister got me a CD that was, it was his solo CD. It's called A Show of Hands. And, um, yeah, my sister Delana gave me this, and I think there's something about, um, I just had never seen a solo, like a whole CD that was solo. Like, I liked Jaco Pistorius. Yeah, I was going to ask if you're... There's there's stuff that I'd heard, Stanley Clark, other bass players, um, Charlie Mingus, you know, who led a band and would have solo parts. Right. Like, maybe the song is solo, you know, just the, like... Jaco Pistorius doing the doing like Donna Lee you know solo or something like there's little parts but most of the record has other instruments on it and 
this record didn't do that. Whoa. And it just was bass and then vocals on some of it and some of it was instrumental. And, you know, it's a, it's a style of bass that I will never be good at or try to be good at. It's a very, like, funk-oriented, like... But it's it blew my mind in the same way that I think it's important for, like, a little black kid to see that there's a black president or, like for for little girls to see that there's women senator i'm just using politicians as an example but you know doctors whatever the thing is that this kid might dream to be it's important to see that that representation you know it mm -hmm. was sort of like that i mean it's a little bit of a stretch but it's sort of like that whereas a bass player i thought i just hadn't thought of it i hadn't thought that you could just make a record of just bass and then that was the ver that was the version of it that i saw and so then, and then that opened it up, and I was like, "Oh, I don't need to play with a guitar player and a drummer. Right, <laughs> like, right. like I can if I want to, but I don't have to." Like and this, then, this can be done. This yeah, has been done. Some version of this has been done, and so now the question is like, "Well, what would I do with this?" And again, I I had a brief during that period. I think I tried to play a little bit of like funk stuff very briefly, not my thing, but you know that was some of my big influences were funk players and so I was like trying to trying to you know process that incorporate that a little bit but as it as it grew as I found my voice you know that was really it like there's some people who just have never seen a solo bassist and so that was already going to put me in the zone of like something I mean somebody tonight at the show actually um Spencer from the Ophelia's her dad was at the show was super sweet and like wanted to meet me and was was like I've never heard anything like that and I was like cool yeah awesome. <laughs> you know I mean part of me thinks and not I mean I'm not dissing on Spencer's dad he was amazing but it's like we all have different experiences some people have never heard solo bass and so this is already gonna mm -hmm. blow their mind Someone's, I've heard plenty of solo basses and so I'm still more interested in like I'm more interested in what I can do with it in terms of evoking emotions, in terms of like creating feelings and not just being a solo basis, you know, mm -hmm. like that's more of my interest, but I get that on, on like a pretty basic level, some people will just already be floored because they're like, what? No drummer, no like, guitarist. What are we what, doing? What are yeah. you doing? <laughs> you know, the bad version of that, I mean, that's the good version yeah, is somebody yeah. like Spencer's dad who's just stoked. The bad version is when someone's like, what is that guy doing? Like, where is the guitar player? Like, it needs guitar. I've literally had people <laughs> say it. it needed drums. There people's was a, there unsolicited was a, advice. like yeah. Worse than cool. advice. This was a, I played a show in uh, Jackson, Tennessee, uh, where this dude got on stage because there was already a drum kit uh, for the band that was going to play after me. They already had their drums staged. He got on stage and just started playing, like not invited at all. In fact, he had come up, he had, he tried to whisper to me while I was playing. He's like, Psst, hey, dude, hey, dude. And I was like, why are you talking to me? He's like, hey, do you mind if I play drums? And I'm like, no, don't play drums. <laughs> don't play drums. <laughs> He gets on stage anyway and just starts just slamming, just killing it, <laughs> you know, just four on the floor. It was hilarious also because this was like <laughs> the song that I was playing 
Um, I think I just remembered also that I've told this story on my podcast, worst show ever. A little shameless plug there. Yeah, no, no. Um, I've, I've mentioned this on this at least one time. Uh, so now I'm self-conscious about saying it in exactly the same way. But, yeah, just... It was a particularly bad choice because it was a song that was, like, during that time I was playing a lot of stuff in, like, prog sort of weirdo meters. It was, like, this 13-8 <laughs> fucking thing. And he just gets up there and he's just... <laughs> just 4-4 four, 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 butt rock beat just over the top. And, you know, it's one of the few times in my life where I just stopped playing and was like... What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah, the fuck off the stage, you know. Um, anyway, it needed drums. This, that was his defense. Yeah, when, uh, when he, when he's like shrank, and like stuck his tail between his legs and like walked off. That's what he muttered. It was like it needed drums. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I'm kind of bummed that story didn't turn into like yeah. And he was right. It just didn't. Need to <laughs> Relationships yeah, born, yeah. and to this day, I every time Play I go through Jackson, Tennessee, yeah. I, I make sure he's around. <laughs> nope. Oh, shit, he was right. <laughs> yeah. Um, what one, one of the things I love about your set is, um, I mean, yeah. So for one thing, yeah, seeing a solo bass guitar unaccompanied by anything, um, but if somebody's not um, kind of familiar with more ambient sort of textural music um, that can be a good sort of um, kind of gateway into that because it is um, the movement of the music is not obscured by like a million different pedals and effects and um, there's a direct sort of correlation between what's happening and the output Um, and so when you do those um, kind of huge volume um, uh, like swells, you yeah. know, um, that's a, that's a sound that I hear, mim- you know, I, I hear a lot and it's easily mimicked through, uh, pedals and delay and stuff sure. like that. But actually the physical, like mechanical movement of it, I think is something that is really inspiring to me. Um, right. Seeing. I mean, again, this goes back to just being poor. I just, <laughs> I wanted that sound and I didn't, I wasn't going to buy a volume pedals, pedal. Yeah. So I learned how to do it with my hand and the volume knob. Yeah. You know, it's just, just you make do I feel like my mom <laughs> if my mom were here she'd tell you about how I made toys out of cardboard when we were kids because that's what that's what we had to do and mm-hmm. it was like well you got some scissors and here's some uh, cereal boxes go to town <laughs> make yourself some toys what, necessity is the best invention or, or inventor oh, or something like that mother of inventions necessity like is the mother yeah yeah that's it I don't yeah. know who said that holds true yeah yeah um and so now you are, I mean, you're still on the road, um, uh, working on a record that you've been working on for some time. So it's finished now. Okay, it's it finished. Is, it is done. It'll be out in a couple months. It'll be out in February, I think. Joyful Noise. Joyful Noise is putting it great. out. Great. They seem to have uh, been a really great partner. They're yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I love those guys. Um, Carl, who runs the label, been friends for many, many years. I'm, I think I'm the longest standing person on the label I think I think that's right um 
Yeah, and they've they've blown up a bit in the last few years, and it's been really wonderful for them and yeah. good for me too. Right? I mean, yeah, the, their catalog is great, and their reissues and yeah. stuff are yeah. phenomenal. But I mean, they really what I appreciate about them is they really want to do something extraordinary mm-hmm. whenever possible. Like they they're down to just put out a record that's just a good record, sure. Mm-hmm. But if you if you come at them like I do with like here's a weird idea I had. Yeah, yeah. They're they're almost down always they're almost always like at least open to it and then usually they've also got ideas for mm-hmm. how to make it better. Um so incredibly appreciative and just like the whole crew, Carl in particular, I mean, like I said, we, we when I started putting stuff out on the label, it was just one person. It was right. Carl. He mm-hmm. he was the label, and now there's a whole staff that are mm-hmm. fantastic folks. So what is uh, what is this wild, crazy idea that you're um, so bringing to? Him? Actually, in fact, I I want to give dude credit. I'm gonna keep on singing the praises of Carl Hofstetter because he gave me the idea. Really, like he initiated. Well, he he was the catalyst at least. Um, a few years ago, I was in Indianapolis. We were hanging out, I think, in his house or at the office, I can't remember, and he's like, so at that point, I think I was, like, coming up on my eight-year anniversary, and he was like, man, so probably you keep going, like, there's, like, nothing has stopped you yet, probably you're going to hit ten years, Yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah, probably, I don't know, I mean, I'm at eight years now, that's, that's where I'm at, you know, again, living in the moment. Yep, living in the moment. <laughs> I don't know, Carl. <laughs> That's two years from now. Too I'm far away. The moment, man. Yeah, just, man. I'm just taking it as it comes. That's how I was. <laughs> and well, and so actually, this will prove the opposite of that. Um, he said, "So just a thought, but like, would you want to do some kind of record that's like a celebration or like a commemoration of your ten years on the road? Like, assuming you get there." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yeah, that sounds cool." Um, I knew right away that I didn't want to just slap that title on whatever I was working on. I knew I didn't want to just say, like, cool, I'll make a record, and then I'll say, my 10-year anniversary right, record. Right. So I was like, let me start thinking about it now. So totally not living in the moment. <laughs> uh, let me start thinking about it just in case it's something that takes a while. And that way, I can, I'd like to come up with what that'll be, and then I'll have a sense of if I need to start right away or start next year or what. The idea that I came up with... Um, was to record a song in every state and to have each you're nodding but it's that's just the beginning it's way more complicated (laughs) (laughs) this is my most uh neurotic record ever (laughs) in terms of the structure of it uh so a song in every state and every song was to be a cover of somebody i had played shows with oh whoa so it's very specific, extremely specific. But so that meant, the, the the basic idea there was, one, it'll be a document of my travels in the literal sense of, like, it will be recorded in all 50 states. The other idea was it'll be a document of my travels in the sense that, like, I am lucky enough to travel around and play with amazing musicians. Everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And so these are 50 songs from my favorite songwriters across the country. Right, that's something that doesn't, I think, get talked a lot about when you're discussing, like, tours, is that, yeah. like, yeah, you, like, you get to go to a, like, hopefully, like, yeah. a really amazing show, like, every night, 
like ostensibly. Yeah. Um, Realistically, it's not every no, night. No, no, but, no. But, but still, but I mean, like you think about the shows that blow your mind, right? You couldn't handle one of those every night. Exactly, you know? like, exactly. Once a week is incredible. Sure, sure. Once a week would be ridiculous, right? But like, chances are you probably like don't know a whole lot of these people, like. Going into it, you know, you, it varies a lot. Like you, there's you, places you might where have, I do, right, yeah, you know, you, you, you and know there's places people. where I don't. Right, there's places where I I don't know anybody. You get put on a bill, and, and it's to you know local yeah people. And sometimes I don't care about it at all. Yeah, and sometimes it blows my mind. Yep, and so yeah, I don't want to try to figure out the number of times it's awesome mm-hmm. or like the percentage, but yeah, I think suffice to say that. Compared to most people's lives, I am in that position way more. Mm-hmm. And just because of what I do, you know, there's just, I'm really fortunate. I mean, it's a privilege. So can I ask, uh, can I ask specifics? You can ask me okay. if you want. What, what's Ohio's? Uh, why? Nice. Yeah, I did the song Distance by Why. Cool. Um, yeah, so the other thing and this was actually really tricky. So those those were like the rules, right, that I set up for myself. Um, what I found that was not like a rule, but just it made sense in terms of if I'm going to sing a song, like have a song come out mm-hmm. of my mouth, um, I needed it to still sort of speak from my voice. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard. And I say that in particular with Why. Because mm-hmm. I love Why. Mm-hmm. But... There's a whole bunch of Yoni's lyrics that I wouldn't, that just like wouldn't be me. Yeah. You know, that are so personal, that are so specifically Yoni Wolf, that it would not make sense for anyone else sure. to sing them. Yeah. And so that, that was a, that was a challenge. That was a huge challenge for some bands. Some, some not so much. So I tended to, I chose a lot of songs that were, that spoke in some way to the, the experience of being on tour. Mm-hmm. You know, not 10 years necessarily, but, um, you know, that song Distance is sort of, it, it gets in, there's some stuff in there about being a touring musician and being, having distance mm-hmm. between you and a person that you love. Um, but that was real tricky, like just finding, there were, there were some people whose music I absolutely adore, but there was no song that I could find where I felt like this could come from me and still be mine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's theirs. It doesn't belong to me. I have no business singing it. Um, so that's the other, and the other huge difference there between that and most of what you've heard me do. <clears throat> These are all songs. These are all like yeah. songs in the very traditional sense of the yeah. word. Like not all, but most of them have, you know, A parts and B parts, and, mm-hmm. you know, a chorus and, um, changes in the more traditional sense whereas like i tend to do more like soundscapey mm-hmm. you know textural stuff like you said who okay so i'm gonna ask a couple more questions yeah. uh denver or uh, colorado you know her <laughs> <laughs> you know her yeah madeline which, johnson yeah which song um i did um oh i'm blinking right now is it a sister grotto song or it's a midwife song it's a sister grotto okay. song um i can sing it and i can't think of what it's called there is no, there is no moment I've known you cannot call your own. I can't think of the name of the song mm. right now. I don't know. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, it's an amazing song. Yeah. 
you know, I've all of them love her. I love everything she does. Yeah, same. She can do no wrong. Um, what so, about yeah. what about Utah? Uh, Sub Rosa. Ooh. Do you know Sub Rosa? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nice. That one was a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say. Um, yeah. Are you getting some like distorted like? Well, I mean they because they have a violin player in that. They band. have two violinists. Two violinists. Yeah. yeah. Um, some of the songs sound like pretty close to the originals. Some do not. Mm-hmm. That is one that does not. Okay, cool. Uh, they are a super heavy killer yeah, band. Yeah, super heavy band. I went the other... That's cool. one song... I didn't do this all the time, but that was one song where I went the other way mm-hmm. and was like, these lyrics are awesome. Uh, I'm just gonna... Um, I'm just gonna play my version of this for like acoustic bass guitar and cello. Cool. And, uh, I mean, I didn't play cello on it, but my friend Genevieve plays cello on it. And, uh, there's a woman, Brianna, who plays harp on it as well. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I, I'm excited to hear this. Yeah. So you said in a couple months? It'll, it'll come out? out, I think it's like early February. Definitely cool. in February. It's, so it, this is fun, but, um, this is what I mean about Joyful Noise, like them being not only like open to my weirdo ideas but then bringing their own um carl i don't know whose idea it was carl's the one who presented it to me he said hey since it's like this massive you know it's a four hour long record uh-huh right that's the part that you think oh yeah there's a song in every state and then you might forget like oh, oh there's 50 that means states. there's 50 and there's yeah. actually 51 one, I did one yeah. in dc as well um so he's like, yeah, it's it's massive. So for the sake of like sending it to press and things <laughs> like that, what if we do like a sampler of some sort, um, kind of release that first digitally, just as like, you know, you can't send a magazine or you know somebody like a fifty song record and yeah, yeah, them exactly to, like, review the whole thing. So so I was like, okay, cool, yeah, I'm into that. And he's like, we should have let's make like a theme, you know, like what what 10 or 15 songs or whatever like that you want to be like the first step and we had we had like this brainstorming session where we went back and forth um carl originally wanted to do the 13 colonies oh um i found i thought it was clever but i wasn't into it i think i just something didn't sit right with me about it politically i just felt like i don't I'm not a fan of yeah. colonization and I don't really want the word colony in right, anything right. that I put my name on. Um, but, but it was cool. Like we just went back and forth and I ended up coming up with the idea, um, places I've called home. Mm. And so it's like this more personal sort of autobiographical, I guess. And again, it's, it's something he told me at some point, like I'm probably overthinking this and I probably was. Um, but I really thought about it a lot to try to come up with something that would be kind of, like, personal. Uh, Where did you grow up? I grew up in California. Okay. And what, so, what, what part? A little town called Santa Maria. It's, like, on the central coast. Okay. Um, and so, like, the California song is on there. Um, what, what, what is that? So California is one of three states where I cheated a little bit, mm-hmm. and I made a... Medley, if you okay. Will. I don't. I don't really like the word medley, yeah. but I guess that's what it is. I took two songs uh-huh. and kind of combined them into one. So the first half, the California song starts with a song by the band Dilute. Are you familiar? Yeah. Well, you put out that 
tape. Yeah, I put up, I did the re-release of the tape. Love that tape. Yeah, tape's amazing. So there's a Dilute song that goes into a Chelsea Wolf song. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the other two where I cheated were Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a Balmeray song. Oh, cool. That goes into a uh, Peter and the Wolf song. Oh, nice. And then in Georgia, I did a, there's this, she's less known, but I, I love her. She's called Nerd Queen. Mm-hmm. And I did a Nerd Queen song, and I was going to just do a Nerd Queen song. And then um, I ended up adding this Kishibashi song. Oh, cool. That really works with it. Um, so, yeah, I, but so I grew up, grew up in California, went to school in Washington, then went to grad school in Tennessee. Where in Washington? Um, Tacoma. Oh, okay. At University of Puget Sound. Oh, okay. Yeah. My dad's from Tacoma. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. T-Town. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's... And then, so the first, you know, California, Washington, Tennessee, I lived in for, like, a reasonable amount of time. I, mean, I lived mm-hmm. in California until I was 18. Right. spent four years in Washington, four years in Tennessee. I lived in New York for like five months. Mm-hmm. I lived in Chicago for like no, five months. And so then that's it as far as like places that I've actually lived. But the thing is called places I've called home partly because since being on the road, there's a lot of times where I have to call someplace home that I don't actually live for the purposes of having a bank account, for mm-hmm. instance, which is in Texas, or I have a gym membership to mm-hmm. Planet Fitness. Uh, shout out to Planet Fitness. Uh, <laughs> I don't exercise per se, but I do take showers There's there. A, yeah, and, amenities there. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, that's in North Carolina where I happen to have that. And up until recently, I had an Iowa driver's license. I, and, and actually, up until like a couple of weeks ago, I had Iowa plates. Mm-hmm. Now I have Virginia plates and Virginia license. Um, so yeah, there's these other places that I've called home for logistical purposes, um, even though I've never actually paid rent there or anything like that. And so you're combining the places you've actually physical physically lived with yeah. the places that you've, um, yeah, you 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 kind of plugged into for a minute to yeah to help you get to the next place well like tonight at the show there was this guy um jack who i just met who like lives next door to motor i guess and was just there uh-huh. and he, this happens all the time so i'm just i'm just using him as an example but it, it happens all the time where someone says cool man so do you live here I'm like, no i'm just passing through um i'm on tour it's like oh cool where you where you live and i'm like well i you know grew up in california but i this is my stock answer, and I I hate that I have a stock answer, but it just I get asked like over ten times and a day. Over, yeah, over so and over. So I say, you know, I grew up in California, but I just live on the road now. And sometimes I don't even say that because honestly, there's times when the interaction is really not. It really doesn't warrant like a big conversation. It's right, right. Like, just I'll just say like, oh, I grew up in California, or like uh, Chicago. I'll just sometimes I'll yeah. just say Chicago. Like that's the last <laughs> yeah, place I lived. Yeah. I'll just say Chicago. Um, but I said, you know, I live on the road now. And he's like, oh, that's cool. And then he, like, bought a record. And then he was talking to Spencer from the Ophelia's. And then he came back. He's like, wait, so, wait. 
you said you just live on the road? Like, you don't have any home base? And I was like, no, nope, I don't. And he's just like, but we, but, <laughs> like, and I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't enjoy seeing people struggle with it, but I don't know what else, you know, it's like, it's not unique to me. Like, I didn't, it's, it's totally boring to me. It's like, I have this conversation every day. It's not that interesting, but I get that for the other person, they're like, wait, but you, where do you get mail? They'll ask, I don't think he asked that question, but people are like, where do you shower? Where do you do stuff that I have to do in my house? That's the question is like, I need a house. How do you not need a house? Or like, there's things that I do that normally involve me being in one city all the time. Mm -hmm. You're not, how do you do those things? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, I feel like it's kind of, you know, pointing towards that too of like, well, yeah, I need a driver's license. You right. don't, you don't get to drive around the country without drivers. <laughs> I have done it. Yeah. I don't advise it. Uh, I can get a lot of trouble. Um, so I, you know, I had a driver's license in Iowa just cause before that I had a driver's license in Illinois and Illinois is kind of a pain in the ass and charges like five times more for their, uh, renewing of the license there than Iowa does. So I lived in Iowa. I never lived in Iowa, but I, you know, got a license there. And then when that license got uh, suspended, like last year, I had spent a few months without a license and then managed to get one in, in Virginia. <laughs> um, so there's these little things, yeah. Like, I'm trying to think of what else is on there. So what did I say? California, Washington, Tennessee, um New York, Chicago, those are the real ones. Then Iowa, Virginia are like mm-hmm. for driver's licenses. North Carolina for my gym membership. Texas for my uh, my uh, what's it called? I want to say bank, but it's a what do you call that? Not a bank, but a credit union. Credit union, yeah. I also have a membership at a food co-op in, okay. <laughs> in Texas. So that's let's see, that's ten. And now I'm blanking on the other ones. Um, I think I the other ones are more creative as far as <laughs> those. I feel like those are the, the those big ones. But oh well, so this is it's a little bit of a stretch. I included Michigan um, because during the time when my previous van died, uh, during a chunk of the time between it died and when I got a new van. A friend in Michigan let me basically just like store a bunch of my shit at his house. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't for that long, but it was long enough to be like, "Wow, that's a solid." You just did me. Thank yeah, you. yeah. So I had a bunch of stuff that was just being stored in Michigan, you know, for a minute. Um, yeah. So there's, I mean, you know, that one's a stretch, I think. But again, like where your stuff is, I guess that's part of what it means to have a home somewhere. So. Mm-hmm place to put your stuff absolutely you know yeah i think when you when you leave um for the first time sometimes on like the next phase of your life you know like you go to college or you know you it's always like very important to like know where your stuff is right or like have a place you know like either it's yeah your folks or with like a friend or something like that that's like a very important thing that you end up going back to quite often yeah, I mean, that's one thing that's changed for me in the last 10 years is, I mean, initially when I left, as you were saying earlier, you know, like when I left, I didn't know how long it was going to be. 
so I didn't get rid of all my stuff. I just kept it in storage, which is an idiot plan. Yeah. But I didn't know any better. You know? Yeah, I yeah. Just, I put stuff in storage that had no reason to be in storage. Right, like, right. Like a couch that I spent maybe $30 on. Right, and you're like And then paying. I'm spending like probably $20 a month yeah, to yeah, keep yeah. it there. Yeah. Probably more. I can't remember how much. It was probably more than that. But I mean, the first year or two, I would come back through Chicago and clean out my... I try to get rid of stuff and be like, okay, I can't keep all these books. I'm gonna I'm gonna get rid of some of these books. Okay, this is furniture. Why do I have furniture in here? Like this is stupid. All this stuff is thrift store shit anyway. Like I should not be keeping it all. Um, and I whittled it down and whittled it down. And this was a problem because as a academic, as somebody who was thought I was going into philosophy as an academic, you know, per- career, uh, I had a shit ton of books. Mm-hmm. And as just a music dork, I had a shit ton of records mm-hmm. and CDs and tapes and DVDs. And, like, I was a collector of media before that. Yeah. And I still kind of am in a much, much smaller way. Like, I still like CDs. I still buy CDs mm-hmm. um, a lot of the time. Uh, but I just had all this stuff, music and movies and stuff, that I had a really hard time getting rid of. And then gradually it would be like, okay... Does it make sense to have 2,000 CDs when you live in a van? That is, that is, those don't, those don't, those don't make sense together, you know? Yeah. And then, I mean, you can think about it as well as like, okay, well, how can I compress that? Like, oh, well, I've got a phone that has like access to the the internet that has like. I didn't at the time. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So this was, this was like almost 11 years ago. Right. I was not interested in the internet or, mm-hmm. or very minimally interested in the internet and I was not I was super not interested in I in like iPods mm-hmm. or I just I was really resistant to the idea of digital music of like purely digital so I I pushed back quite a bit and it took me a couple years before I was like okay an iPod would actually make a lot of sense yeah for me and again then streaming was not a thing no but as the streaming thing has come, I've been really resistant to it too. I mean, I I love Bandcamp. I use Bandcamp all the yeah, time. Yeah, Bandcamp's the but best. But I still don't fuck with Spotify. I I've still not gotten a Spotify account. I'm not planning on it. It I, is. I might at some point, but the reason I've I mean, dragged my feet this yeah. long. The reason why I love it. I mean, obviously, like I am a collector of media, and I mean, part of it is. I mean, yeah, I could go. Um, to Bandcamp and stream this, but like, I mean, I make a conscious effort to like, I want to support like financially yeah. Yeah. Um, my friends who are putting out music. Um, but like, the reason why I love Spotify is that uh, a, a band or something that I am not that familiar with, um, and I just want to know about them and I want to know about their place in musical history. Sure. I can just like, boom. Like, sure. I'm not really on Spotify to say that they're not useful. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying I have been one of those Luddites who's been like, nope. But I, I and also, I think I probably will yeah, eventually go for it. But I, I've just waited this. I, reckon, I mean, I have an iPhone now. Yeah. Like I, I started this tour on a flip phone. I started this tour with no internet access. Jesus. Yeah. Most of the time, it was fucking hard yeah <laughs> like i'll be honest it was a pain in the ass i mean i loved it i still had a good time but i would have to just like i remember specifically like printing out map quest directions yeah. 
to find a venue. Ask a punk. Yeah, which works <laughs> if you know the town and know who right. the punks are. Yeah. I did this in Europe. I remember going to Europe in like 2008 for the first time, a first tour, and having, there was one time in particular, um, I was with a group, um, it was like CJ Boyd's Sextet, it was this mm-hmm. group that I was in, and we had MapQuest directions to this place in Brussels, now Belgium, for the listeners who don't know, uh, is a bilingual country, technically trilingual, there's a tiny percentage of people who speak German, uh, but it's mostly French and Flemish, which is almost Dutch. And so uh, I think our directions were in Dutch, but the neighborhood we were actually in, everybody spoke French. And so the I remember, uh, oh, I just blanked on the name. Um, it'll probably come to me in a minute, but um, there was this La Filature, was the name of the that's the name of the, the place and it was on Rue de la Filature like that was the street this our direction said Spinnerstraat <laughs> now obviously la filature means spinner obviously obviously <laughs> but I didn't know that all the time because uh, I didn't speak Flemish or French and we got we weren't lost exactly we were just confused we were driving circles around the actual street, and of course, it's Europe, so also they're not. There's no blocks, it's not right. like modular, you know, square blocks. They're just all these like windy roads, mm-hmm. and we're just doing zigzags through the neighborhood, asking people like, "Do you know where Spinnerstraat is?" And they're like, uh, "Sorry, I don't, I don't know this uh, Flemish. Uh, I don't know this." You know, they're just polite. They were nice, but they just no idea what you're talking about. It turned out we had passed the street probably like eight times. We spent like a good hour or two, like, like within three, like three minute walk of this place, and I just couldn't find it. Um, so yeah, those days were rough. I mean, I'm very thankful now to have GPS yeah. on a smartphone that I can just plug in. But but you did it. You know what I but mean? But I did like, it for the, years. The, the, those and skills. I decided to upgrade, but yeah. I, I'm into navigation. I mm-hmm. like navigation. Mm-hmm. Initially, I was like, I, I was totally suspicious of GPS when it came out. And I'm again, I'm saying I tend to be a Luddite. A lot of times I do come around just mm-hmm. late. Yeah. And, I mean, there's a band that I loved uh, called The Drift, and we did a tour in Europe early on, probably like 2008 or 2009, where I was the guy that was like... Pfft, Garmin was a Garmin. No, <laughs> GPS. I don't. Man, I know how to read a map. Exactly. That's the real deal. Yeah. And I think these. I mean, they're all my friends, but they were like probably pretty annoyed with me because there were times where I was just like, did not want to take directions from the computer voice. And there was one time. This was. I mean, I held this up in like vindication because there was one time where they put the name slightly wrong. And it was leading us in the opposite direction of where we needed to go. And I was the one person who was what? like, don't just listen to GPS. Like, like, look at the map. We need to go north. Yeah. We're heading south. We, sh- we should be going like, that no, way. No, 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 trust the machine. No. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's, like, um, it's problematic. Like, I mean, all these things probably have, um, they have much broader implications that probably aren't great. 
Um, and so, yeah, with GPS, you're able to get to where you're going. But it's also, like, you, do you get to know the neighborhood that you're in? Like, right. do you, like, do you have all this awareness of what, like, what's around you and multiple ways to get to the same place that kind right. of, like, expands your knowledge of, like, right. the city and the neighborhood? No. Um, yeah. Do you, I mean, we have talked forever about how, like, streaming has changed musician's ability to make a living right. and get paid and and that's the main part of it for yeah. me i don't mess with spotify i don't even really mess with itunes i mean i use itunes as a player but i don't buy stuff from itunes mm-hmm. unless i can't get it anywhere else right i have to have already tried to buy it directly from the website yeah. of that artist and if they don't have that and and they don't have it on Bandcamp, then i'll get it if i really need it i'll yeah. get it through iTunes. Bandcamp seems to be the most, I, I mean, it, yeah, the most like direct and um, yeah. sort of like the best compromise I think that we have, yeah. you know, for all of these things. But I mean, it's, it's also, and I love Bandcamp because of this, like they were very intentional about opposing this like Spotify, iTunes kind mm-hmm. of mentality of there was a term that came on that came out early on about like frictionless, mm. and I and I remember reading something that the the guy who started Bandcamp wrote I can't remember his name but uh, it was basically like nope we're going for the opposite like it's not about making this hard for you but it is about support mm-hmm. and so like I love they actually designed the you have the like fan pages. Mm-hmm. Of like where your collection, yeah, is there? Love it. They designed that so that people would actually be proud of supporting to be like, check out my collection, which exactly. is totally nerdy, but that's the kind of nerd I am. And no, I'm into I, it. Like, I, it it speaks to me it's for saying, sure. This is stuff I gave a shit enough yep, about to I give bought. some money, mm-hmm. and even if it's like a pay what you can, and mm-hmm. you only spent three dollars on yep. that record, like it's something. Uh, but if you get it for free, it doesn't go into your collection. And they did that on purpose. Yeah. That's that's intentional. And I yeah. really appreciate when a platform like that has some power and they make a conscious... They know that they are... It's like in a way, we might make a little bit more money if we did it in a more frictionless way. But something there... There were some values there that went into it. They were like, no, we're not going to just do this so that people get everything they want all the time like that's not the point of this the point of is to support musicians so um they were very very clear about that and i really really appreciate that yeah. and they take 15 percent. yeah i think that is way more than fair i mean I, when i started with Bandcamp, it was free yep and i remember when they said look the honeymoon is over we have to start charging <laughs> we did this hoping to get you hooked yeah and then now you pay for it and i was like 15 yeah, percent. i fine. would I would probably do more. Don't tell Bank that. <laughs> but I would do more. Like it, it's a totally worthwhile service. Prior to that, I remember I'm not I'm not a coder. I don't know enough HTML or anything to to add stuff to my website. Yeah. And oh, I remember God. having to like find a buddy yeah. and be like, Hey, could you I put a new record out, could you put these on there? And it was like always a, a thing that I didn't really know how to do and didn't want to know how to do and just they came out and like ah oh, finally just finally. put a record out and it looks good i i really don't like soundcloud i really don't like some of the other platforms that are more i th- i mean soundcloud's fine it's just i feel like it's for serves a purpose yeah it serves a purpose of like look i did this and i yep. wanted to just put it online yep. like why not it's that's 
SoundCloud to me says like, yeah, why not? You yeah. can listen to this if you feel like it. Yeah. And sometimes there's good shit on there. Yeah. But if you want to make a record yeah. and release it digitally. And sell. And potentially sell merchandise. It. But even if you want to just, yeah, even if you just want to give it away. It just looks so much better yeah. on Bandcamp. I, I don't know like how, I mean, starting a label in Bandcamp days, yeah. like, I don't know how people, I mean, I, I, I understand, but it's just like, man, like, how did you get started? Yeah. Like, a different world. Yeah. I mean, bef- like, how did you get people to even notice you, <laughs> you know, and get distribution? So, anyway. Well, this has been an awesome talk. Yeah. I've had really a good time and um, probably stop here. Probably yeah. go to bed here pretty soon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been uh, CJ Boyd um, chatting for Tome to the Weather Machine podcast. <laughs>